It's a joy to be with you this morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Nate Sheridan. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. I get the privilege today to open up God's Word in our ongoing series in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 23. And I know that for a number of you, you've been with us in this series. You're aware of where the people of Israel probably are at this point. But for a number of you, you may not have been with us in this uh, series. Uh, We're glad you're here now. And as we look at Exodus 23 together, probably to get your bearings just a little bit to help you understand this this text, I'd like to just share with you where we've we've been. Um, We're coming out of the the law, the section that probably, whether you're a longtime believer or um, first time ever in in a church, you've probably heard of the Ten Commandments. A lot of folks have heard of the Ten Commandments. That was back in Exodus chapter 20. We spent a couple of weeks there. And then coming out of Exodus 20 and 21 and 22, in the first part of Exodus 23, we looked at what scholars refer to as the, the Book of the Covenant. And the Book of the Covenant is a section in the book of Exodus that actually extends into other places in the first five books of the Old Testament, they give a lot of situational or circumstantial laws. Like if this bad thing happens, here's how you ought to handle it. And in this circumstance, here's what you ought to do. And and really the book of the covenant is kind of getting into the details of our lives and it's pulling the thread of the Ten Commandments into them so that you know best and I know best how to think wisely uh, about uh, loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our, our neighbor as, our, as ourselves. And that section really was for the people of Israel in the establishment of the nation of Israel as a theocracy, uh, a nation ruled by God. Um, the laws in the book of the covenant, though still uh, teach much to us, we are not under the binding stricture of those covenants or those commands as we are in the moral law. But as we studied just a couple of weeks ago, we said some of the general principles from those laws still teach us what it means to love the Lord your God, what it means to love another as yourself. And so we study those laws to think how might they apply wisely to the context and circumstance that I'm in. So we're just leaving that section Behind, and we've come really now to the end of it. Exodus 23, verses 20 to 33, is the end of that section of the book of the covenant. And what we see the Lord do here, and, and I think is, uh, again, just so gracious of our, of our God, and He does this so much for us so often. But he picks up our chin. You know, he's been giving us commands and instructing us on how to live. And now he's like, I want you to see what's coming down the pike. He picks up the chin of the people of Israel and he says, I'm going to lead you uh, into the promised land. You're going to take conquest of the promised land. And while you're there, I'm going to oversee you. I'm going to overshadow you with my grace. Um, You're going to experience a kind of Edenic Garden of Eden-like quality to the land of Canaan. This land, this land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to protect you from diseases there. Uh, w- women who are barren are, are going to give birth to children. You're going to live out your days. It's this beautiful picture of promised land. And he says, I want you to know I'm going to get you there. And I'm going to protect you from everything that's going to try to keep you from having that land. Now let's get going. 
And that's essentially what Exodus chapter 23, verses 20 to 33 is all about. He wants to lift up our own hearts and our eyes to look at the horizon of the future. And he's promising that he's going to get us there. And I just want to encourage you this morning as a believer, even before we look at this text, that you and I are actually on the journey to the promised land. You may not think of your life day in and day out as that, but the new heavens and the new earth are right now being prepared by Lord Jesus. He's going to come back and he's going to take you to the place that he has prepared for you. And he's going to ensure that anything negative that would keep you from getting to the place in which he's prepared for you, he's going to handle and he's going to take care of. So much so that he can say that which he's begun in you, he's going to bring to completion and nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so as we approach this text, though we are thousands of years removed from it, the truth of this text is as pertinent as it was said right now, right today, in Middle Tennessee where you and I are sitting. That we are a people who have, in a very real sense, an angel of the Lord who is leading us to the promised land. And the Lord, by His grace, is making sure that we are protected in order to get there. Praise be to his name. So even with that hope, let's actually approach the text knowing that rich truth. And I think that'll help us appreciate it that much more. Let's look at verse 20 of Exodus 23. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him for he will not pardon your transgression for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites, the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Hittites, and the Canaanites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces." You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. I will make sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites from before you. And I will drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we'd ask now that you would come by your spirit and you would speak to us from this, your word. Would you come and know each and every heart in this room for those who are in overflow and live streaming, no matter where it is that we are, would you make that space, a space where we would encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. And even now in the power of this, your word, we would find you, the living God, coming and abiding close to us. 
Speak the important truths that you have to share today to each and every heart. And do not let the bird of the air come in and pluck out the seed or the thorns and the rocky soil smother out the work of the fruit of the gospel. Let today be a day where the fruit of the gospel is so clearly born in each and every soul that it redounds to your glory for decades and ages even to come. Oh, Lord Jesus, we know that you're here by the Spirit. Now, come and surprise us with your grace. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. As we look at this text together, I want you to uh, consider it with me. In a bit of a, a story, you might say, um, a bit of an arc, narrative arc, as the literary scholars would say, uh, a narrative arc of some sort in this text, I want, you, I want you to see this. I want you to see the promise in this text, because there's a really important, important promise. And then I want you to see the path to the promise. Because there's actually, there's actually a path. And then I want you to see the problem on the path to the promise. Okay, Because there's, there's a problem on this, this path. And then I want you to see that the angel is the solution. Okay, I want you to see that there's a promise in this text. I want you to see that there's a path to the promise in this text. I want you to see there's a problem on the path on the way to the promise. And I want you to see that the angel is the solution. Now, we're going to start with this uh, promise. It's right there in verse 20. Notice it with me. It's how this text begins. Behold, I send an angel before you. This is God speaking to the people of Israel. I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. That's a beautiful promise, isn't it? Um, it's so important for the people of Israel where they are, because where are they? Well, they're in the wilderness. And you know, when you're in the wilderness, you are vulnerable. You're not in a city that's fortified with walls. You don't have towers that you can look for the encroaching uh, enemy. You're like a sitting duck. You're, you're vulnerable out there in the midst of the desert. And, and the Lord says to you, look, I'm going to send an angel that's going to guard you. It's going to protect you. And, and he's not just going to do that, he's going to guide you. That's really important. He's going to bring you all the way to the promised land. Because when you're in the wilderness, there aren't signs and markers that are, that are clear. You need someone who knows the way to be able to map it for you. And he says, I'm going to give you an angel who's going to guard you from everything that would keep you from the land of promise. And I'm going to guide you every step of the way to ensure that you get there. And what's remarkable about that is that this angel's going to do this, and when he gets them to the land of promise, he's not going to stop helping them. He's going to actually kind of move, we might say, from being a shield to being a sword. He's going to actually help the people of Israel push out all the Canaanites out of the land. Did you catch that in the reading over and over how we heard, I'm going to drive them out of the land. I've handed the inhabitants of the land over to you. Now you're going to drive them out of the land. This reverberating theme. And the angel of the Lord is actually going to go before you to accomplish it. It's a beautiful promise. Now God makes it really clear that in this promise, he is the actor. He's the one who's going to accomplish this. He says in verse 21, I will send my terror. I'm going to do this. I'm going to send my angel. Verse 20. Verse 28, I will send hornets before you. Verse 30, I will drive them out. Verse 31, I will give the inhabitants of the land over to you. So it's, it's very clear that God is the one who is the God of promise. And what we're seeing here is that he's faithful to his promises. 
He had given this promise to the people of Israel long before this moment. They knew that there was a promised land that he had marked out for them. He had even spoke that back in Exodus chapter 3 to Moses at the burning bush. Where, as you'll remember, the angel of the Lord was actually present. This, this looking to the land of Canaan, the promised land, is something that's been on the hearts of the people of Israel. They have been brought now out of Egypt into the freedom there in the wilderness. God has provided for them. He's given them his law. They're now ready to go take the land. And he says, I hadn't forgotten. I'm going to get you home. Even as we said in the sermon title, an angel is going to lead you home. I'm going to get you there. I promise. Now, what's interesting about this promise is that this promise has a path. There's a path from which this promise is fulfilled. And I want, I want you to see this path, and I'm going to spend a little time on this path and, 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 and sort of relate it to this idea of, of promise, because I think this is really important for us to grasp. Notice the latter half of verse 20. After he says... Um, I am going to send my angel before you to guard you on the way and bring you to the place that I have prepared. He says this, pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. All right, now, you may not have seen it, but that's the path. In other words, God has promised this future promised land that he is going to give to the people of Israel, that his angel is going to get them there. And then he says, and you have something to do. Here's the path I want you to walk. I want you to listen to everything that this angel says. And I want you to obey it. Now, what's interesting about that is that I I think very often... We, we don't pull together like the scripture does effortlessly the promise of God and the path that we as his people must walk. Very, very often those two things get pushed away from one another rather than brought into the closest proximity to one another. And, and I want you to see here that the Lord wants you to see those United, He wants you to see those tied together. That the promise that he has made is tied to the path that you and I are to walk. And, and the reason I think we sometimes separate these is that we, we sort of halfway pay attention to all of what it is that the Word real, really teaches us. Because I think there are, out of this is the path, I think there are two what we might call, well, what... What I guess John Bunyan would call in Pilgrim's Progress, two bypaths, two dead ends that we have a tendency to walk in. And and one of these dead ends I want to call being being under-responsible. And the other dead end I want to call being over-responsible. Just so you can understand the importance of this path. Now what do I mean by under-responsible? Well, I think some of us... When we read the scriptures, we primarily listen to the first part of verse 20. Right? Some of us have this tendency. God says, I'm going to send an angel to protect you and bring you all the way to the land that I've prepared you. And we go, I don't even need to read anymore. That is so encouraging. God is going, he has made a promise that he is going to get me all the way to the promised land. He who began a good work in you. 
is going to bring it to completion. Yes and amen. And we just stop right there and we just say, see, there's nothing we need to do. And that really puts you in a place of what I would call kind of under-responsible when it comes to the path. The path that the Lord has called us to walk. We think that we actually have no role. When in fact, there's another whole half verse to read. Now there's another whole section of us in this room and, and we come by this, you know, our souls are bent in different ways. And some of us really only have ears for the latter half. Of, of verse 20. We hear, pay attention to everything that the angel said. Be sure to do it all. He's not going to forgive my transgressions. The name of the Lord is on him. Okay, all right. We've got to be sure that we get everything absolutely right. And this particular person has no real reflection on the depth of the promise, but they are completely consumed with the path. They would never say this, they'll functionally live. live. That's what they heard. They heard the second half of verse 20. I just want you to see that God said both of those things. He didn't say one or the other. He said, I'm going to get you all the way to the promised land, and there's a path for you to walk. And both of them are true. And you need to hear both of them. And they need to be in, in direct proportion to one another. You, you need to understand they're related. And the reason for this is I think that what's going on often in our souls, we don't realize it even as we're reading the scripture, is that there are certain proclivities we have that sometimes wind up to reading the scripture in a way that makes us emphasize certain things over and against other things. Instead of hearing the true harmony of the word of God. Like for instance, we'll hear in the the over-responsible path, right? The person who's paying attention to the angel, doing everything that the angel says to do. And if it's going to be, it's up to me. They think to themselves, I'm so dedicated. I'm so devoted. I haven't missed a quiet time in 13 years. I've listened so closely to the angel. I have prayed faithfully morning, noon, and night. And they actually look at this other group over here, the under-responsible group, and they, they look down their nose at them. And they go, they're what's wrong with the world, you know? If people would just be a little bit more like me, right? Now, again, none of these things would actually fall out of our lips, God forbid. But these are the kind of internal dialogues that actually our hearts are listening to. Oh, even worse than that, they're coming out of our hearts. This is the spring of life that is there. And what we actually go is... I'm really devoted and committed. And you know what actually is going on? We're really self-sufficient. We actually are looking to ourselves to get ourselves to the promised land. And we would have never thought about it that way. Now there is those other group, right? The under-responsible group. Don't think you're getting off. The, the under-responsible group has heard the first, verse of, first section of verse 20. And they have thought to themselves, see, all these other people working so hard out there. They just don't really trust the Lord. You know, I believe in the promises of God. I'm, I'm at peace like a river. It is well with my soul. And, and, and thus, they aren't giving themselves over to the devotions and the disciplines of devotion. They're not concerned about the commands and the call of God in His path. And they call it faith, but in fact, it's presumption. 
They're the kind that fall into the path of going, you know, I really should read. But, you know, I'm already forgiven. My record is in Christ. I don't have to. He's going to forgive me. I'll just go ahead and not read my Bible for the 14th year. And it'll be okay. Presumption, not faith. And notice it didn't give them over to earnestness. What is the evidence of this? Laziness. Spiritual laziness. What's the evidence of the over-responsible? Anxiety. (laughs) Stress. Freaking out all the time to make sure everything's perfect. What would it be like to hear both sides of verse 20? And believe them. Well, I would like to call that faithfully responsible. Not under... Responsible, not over-responsible, but faithfully responsible. Meaning, I believe that the only way that you and me are going to get to the promised land is if God gets us there. And the way that God is going to get us there is for each of us to take one step at a time. Now, here I said that. There's a promise... And there's a path. Now, for some of us, that made us a little nervous. Because all of a sudden, we felt there was something, I don't know, contingent, possibly. Like, i got to take steps. i got to actually move from point A to point B. And I'm not just going to be whisked up on Elijah's chariot. Apparently, I'm going to have to listen to an angel. And do what this angel says. Like, obey. And stuff. Now, I love Alec Motier. He's a great Old Testament professor. I've learned tons from him over the years. In fact, you should just, if you hear anything beneficial ever from me, you should just assume Alec Motier told me. Um, he, he said, commenting on Exodus 23, he said, God's unconditional promises are conditionally fulfilled through active obedience. I appreciate that little music at the end of that. That was nice. It's perfect timing. God's unconditional promises are conditionally fulfilled through active obedience. Now, what is, what is Motir saying when he says that? He's saying that God actually gets you to the promised land through the conditions of you walking with the voice of the angel. That's what he's saying. Now, that bothers us, and I think, understandably, I'll get to what bothers us in a minute. But what I want you to see is what Motir is saying, is that God chooses not only the ends, but He chooses the means. Now, we know this, and we know the complexity and the mystery of this when we kind of put ourselves in a bit of a biblical or theological conundrum. Like, maybe you have been in this conundrum. That just means something really complicated. Um, Where we have said something like, God is sovereign. If you've thought this, God is sovereign. Why pray? Right? If God is sovereign, why pray? If He already knows, He's already determined what's going to happen, why is it that we should... We should pray. Like if we, if we know that Aunt Susie 
is, um, is going to die of cancer. God, that God's determined that. It doesn't matter if I pray or if I don't pray. Uh, Aunt Susie is going to die of cancer because God has determined it. Now, that is listening to one side of the Scripture. Just like we did with verse 20. It's listening to the sovereignty of God without listening to the human responsibility of the text as well. And you're listening to the unconditional reality without recognizing that God is built in conditional realities. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, do you know that one way that God may have chose to heal Aunt Susie, one of the ways that God has often been pleased to heal people throughout history is through prayer. And so much so that we could say that if God has determined to heal Aunt Susie, and he's determined that to be the end, he may have also determined, I might even say he is definitely determined, not just to heal her, but how he's going to, through the means of your prayer. We see this all the time when it comes to revival. For instance, if you've studied revivals or you're aware of revivals, spiritually speaking, special showings of the Spirit that happen in different places, different times in history. When you study revivals, one of the things that you see is that God is in control of them. I, as long as I've lived, I, I'm 40, how old am I? 42 years old now. Sign I'm getting old. 42 years old now. As long as I can remember, we've been praying for revival in America. Somebody around me has been praying for revival in America for 42 years. Now, has God brought revival? Well, it depends on who you ask and what you're looking for and how you think about it. There's a lot of mysteries surrounding that. But the reason they're praying for it is that when you study history and you look at the scriptures, you see that God most often comes in revival on the heels of people praying. Say it another way, God might not send a revival until people pray. He will send revival. He's not sending it until people pray. He's determined the end and the way that He's going to accomplish the end. Now, why am I laboring on this? Because I think we get this wrong a lot. And I think the people of Israel get this wrong a lot as we read throughout the text of Scripture. Notice God has said, I am going to bring you into the land of promise. And I'm going to keep diseases from you. You're going to be fruitful. You're going to live long lives there. There's nobody going to be able to touch you as you move into the land of Canaan. I mean, you're going to dance around the walls of Jericho when they're going to fall down. You're going to be amazed at what it is I'm going to do. But now you're going to have to do it. I have given the inhabitants of the land to you. Now go take them. Now at this point, you see there's a promise. And there's a path. There's a way that we need to walk. And you're feeling the problem. The problem actually unfolds in biblical history. Do you know that the generation that we're speaking about and that God is speaking to in Exodus 23 never gets to the promised land. Now, let me just ask you, was that a failure of the promise? 
It was a failure in the walking of the path. You remember at, in Numbers 13, when they're finally at the Jordan River, and they're on the cusp of entering into the Promised Land, what do they do? They send the 12 spies in. And the spies come back with a report, kind of a good news and bad news report. The good news is the land is amazing, just the way God said it was. Land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, the grapes are the sizes of watermelons. It's unbelievable. The bad news is, like, the people are giants. They're giants. And, like, like the cities are big and they're fortified. And, like, as good as the grapes are, it's a no-go. And they decide not to go into the land of Canaan. And the whole generation dies. He kind of meant it. That the way I'm going to fulfill this promise is when you follow me. And you follow the voice of the angel. Kind of meant it. Thankfully, there's another generation. Another generation arises. And this generation is like, you remember what happened to that other generation? Let's not do that. And they actually embrace the call to trust and obey. To believe the promises of God and to walk the path. And they are the ones who walk around Seven times those walls of Jericho blow the trumpets and the Lord just hands the inhabitants into their land. And do you know who we see there with them? The angel of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? The commander of the Lord's army is there. And Joshua now, this newly minted leader, is leading the people of Israel into this next season of redemptive history. It's amazing. Except for the fact that they don't actually do what God tells them to do. You might have noticed in the instruction of Exodus 23 that the Lord gave them several instructions like, be sure you drive out all the inhabitants of the land, verse 31. Be sure that none of them dwell with you, verse 30. Lest they make you sin against me and you serve their gods, for it will surely be a snare to you. And you know what we find out about the second generation? Is that they start really well. They don't end so well. When you're reading in the book of Joshua, you start reading sections like this. Joshua 13, 13. The sons of Israel did not dispossess the Girgashites and the Makathites, for Gersha and Makath still live with Israel until this day. Joshua 15, 63. Now as for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the sons of Judah did not drive them out. So the Jebusites live with the sons of Judah at Jerusalem until this day. Joshua 16.10 But they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites live in the midst of Ephraim to this day and they became forced laborers. Joshua 17 verses 12 through 13 But the sons of Manasseh could not take possession of these cities and the Canaanites persisted living in the land because they did not drive them out. You catching something here? They trusted the Lord and obeyed the Lord to a degree, for, for a time. So here is the solution to the problem on the path to the promised land. 
perfect obedience. Not exactly good news. One of the wonders of believing that the texts of Scripture, no matter which text we look at, whether it's Exodus 23 or it's you know, Philippians 2 or it's Romans 8 or whatever it is that we're looking at, we believe that all of these texts ultimately don't just speak of the time and moment in which they're in, but they speak to the whole of the redemptive story of the Bible. They speak of the one single story that holds the whole of the Bible together, and that is the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you see, I don't know if you've noticed him yet, that Jesus is in this text. No, you'll actually miss it if you look for the word Jesus, because it's not in this text. But you've probably been wondering who this angel is. He's a very interesting angel. He's no ordinary angel. This is no no just Gabriel. It's important. Nothing against Gabriel. Gabriel, nothing against you. This is definitely not Clarence, right? No no Clarence here. (laughs) This is no, no, this is an extraordinary angel. This is an angel that we're told at the beginning when he speaks, he speaks with the authority of God. So much so that God says, when you hear his voice, you hear my voice. And that that this obedience requires, this angel requires complete obedience to his voice. Hmm. And that God has put his very name in this angel. Now, when you begin to see the qualities of what the text is telling us, it's impossible to not draw the conclusion that what we have here is the angel of the Lord. We have the second person of the Trinity in his pre-incarnate glory, leading the people of Israel unto the promised land. As God's warrior angel, the one who will guard us from everything that seeks to destroy us, who will guide us all the way home, and who demands of us perfect obedience in the fulfillment of the promise. This is clearly the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's not yet Christ in that there is no incarnated body. Instead, what you see in this text is that this angel represents God to the people. Isn't that what you see? He represents God to the people. You know what he doesn't do? He does not yet represent the people to God. The people are their own representatives. And they're not doing so well. And this is why this angel ultimately doesn't merely represent God to us, but becomes a man made like us in every way, yet without sin. So that he can be the true Israelite. He can represent the true people of God. He is the one who would receive from the Lord the command and the commission to go lead his people to the promised land. That's Jesus' call. He has gone to prepare a place for us, hasn't he? He has gone to lead the people to the promised land. And how is he going to do that? Is he going to require perfect obedience of us? Well, we've seen how well that goes. No, like us, he's going to be required of him. Perfect obedience on our behalf. 
That's the second Adam. The one who will come as the true Yeshua, the true Joshua, who will go and take the land of Canaan for his people. The one who will keep the commandments of the Lord. And then the one who will pay for all of the commandment breaking of all of his people on the cross. This perfect one, this angel of the Lord, you see, has come to actually be our guide. He is the only one who can be a mediator between God and man. He is the man, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one who's opened up a pathway back into the promised land. And he is guarding us. Do you realize that, don't you? From every enemy. Will there be tribulation or persecution that can separate you from the love of God? Will there be life or will there be death that could separate you from the love of God? No one who is found in Christ Jesus can be separated from the love of God in him. He is the perfect guide that leads us to the promised land. And he is the perfect guard. Because what it is we were actually supposed to receive was what he received on the cross. And do you know what that is? The very opposite of promised land. You see, we've always supposed to have been exiled into the outer darkness, into the place of judgment. For the wages of our sin is death and the wrath of God abides on us. And Jesus left the glories of the heavenly throne room in order to take on the exile that is rightfully ours so that he could stand when he returns at the pearly gates and greet you by name, saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of your master. And you think to yourself, done, well done. Does he have any idea what he's talking about? And of course, when he tells you, well done, good and faithful servant, he knows good and well that all of his works have been applied to you. And all of his righteousness is yours. And all of your doing is bound up in his done. And then we will know that he's the only one that could walk the path to the promised land. But if you're in him, the path is straight for you. The path is straight for you in Christ Jesus our Lord. He has already finished the work. It is finished, he says, on the cross. He will bring to completion that which he has begun. That's the confidence of the Christian, is that the conditions for the pathway to be complete to the promises of God to be fulfilled have already been done in Christ. And do you know that's why Jesus, when he is being baptized by his father, or by John the Baptist as his father speaks, his father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What does he want you and me to do? What does he want us to do? Listen to him. Listen to every word that comes out of the angel's mouth and obey it. Listen to it all because as you listen to it, you take one step closer to the promised land. Now I want you to think of that just as we close. 
We've been thinking about commandment keeping, haven't we? At least those of you who have been with us for the last few weeks, you've been like, yes, we've been thinking about commandments. I want you to think about obedience a little differently for just a second and see if this helps you, especially in light of this passage. If you were going to define obedience, how would you define it? You might define it as keeping the law of God. Would that be an appropriate definition? Yeah, it's fine. You, you might define it as conforming to God's standard. Be very, very appropriate biblical definition for obedience. You, you might define it as submitting to God's authority in every area of life. So that's a marvelous definition for obedience. But I want you to think about it in, in light of this passage. How might we define obedience in this passage? I want you to think of your obedience is choosing the path that leads to the promised land. Choosing the path that leads to the promised land. Now, how does that work? Well, you know, this week when that sin shows up again, that you always say yes to, you always fall into, say no. And in saying no, don't just go, oh, no. Think of yourself as stepping towards your promised future. Do you know what your promised future is? Total sinlessness. Absolute righteousness clothed in the glory of Jesus. In perfect and unhindered fellowship with him. For all eternity. When you say no to sin and you say yes to righteousness, you aren't just obeying laws. You're saying yes to the future that is yours. And you're saying, I want to see that future break in a little bit more into my heart. I want something of the promised land to show up in Middle Tennessee in my heart. And who it is that Christ has already made me to be. To become a little bit more of who I actually am. And so this week. How about in grace. Knowing that the pathway of the promised land is open for us in Christ. And that the angel of the Lord has done it. How about we take a few steps towards the promised land. And walk the path of the worthiness of the gospel until we see Christ at those pearly gates. You remember those? And he says, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Father in heaven, I long to hear those words from your lips to know the truth of those realities now, but to know them in their fullness then. I long to know it. And this week, Lord, I pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters here that you would cause us to take one more step towards the promised land, towards the future. Every time, Lord, we say no to sin and we say yes to 
righteousness. We've taken a step. And for a lot of us, Lord, you know what that's going to look like. It's going to look like a stumble. And the wonder is that when we stumble by your grace, even in our attempts, is that we stumble forward. And we get up and we realize that you've done a great work of grace in us through the hard lesson of our fall. But those disciplinary strokes, oh, they're painful in the moment, but you tell us in the scripture that they will bear a harvest full of righteousness. Lord, we pray for that harvest of righteousness to come in our hearts and in our community. That we would be a people known for taking steps towards the promised land. And that we would be looking and listening to the greater angel of the Lord, even Christ himself. For he is closer to returning than ever. Even closer than when this service began. And so Lord, we pray as we continue to walk towards the promised land. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.